This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Good morning, everybody. Man, it's good to see so many of you today. I'm just looking forward to sharing some time together. If you're new with us, I want to say a special welcome to you today. My name is Kevin. I'm one of the pastors here at New Life, and I'll be guiding us for the rest of our morning together, which should be about another 40 minutes or so as we continue to engage with God. And I don't know about you, but today was one of those days where I, I needed to be at church. You ever have one of those days? And I don't know, maybe you don't, but like, I love church. Listen, I love church. That's why I do this. Like, I love it. But today I needed it. And, and I didn't know exactly what it was that I needed, but as I was hugging people coming in, someone stopped and said to me, Kevin, I so appreciate you. And everything you do, you make, you make this so wonderful. And I started to tear up because I needed someone to see me today. And I hope for you, if you need that moment, if you need someone to see you, I hope you have that experience. Because I know sometimes when we're in a huge group like this, we get lost in the group. But I'm telling you, you're not alone. You're on this journey together with people who love you, who want to connect with you, and who want to encounter God with you. And I've been praying for you that today, somehow, whether it was through a hug you received in the lobby, uh, through a song we sang during our time of communion, maybe through the message, that God would just grab you today and give you exactly what you need. Because we're told that God isn't some distant deity who hangs out in the corner, but God is a very personal God, like a a loving, all-powerful Heavenly Father who wants to speak to His kids today. So I'm excited to share some time with you as we continue on our series, How to Neighbor. And you're going to want to grab some things so we're all on the same page as we start today. The first is this card that says, Start Here. Go ahead and grab that. Put your name on it. If you're a guest with us, I'd ask you just maybe throw your email address on there. We won't abuse this, but uh, we do want to use this to partner with you as you take steps in faith. We want to be a resource to you. This is a way for you to connect with our pastoral team so that we can partner with you. And we'll be using these throughout the day. So go ahead and get that ready. The other thing you're going to want are our teaching notes. Uh, They've got the Bible story we're looking at. They've got some fill in the blanks. They've got some ideas for taking some next steps. So go ahead and get that ready as we continue this journey, where uh, this whole series is coming out of one story that Jesus tells. And he tells this story in response to a question a man asks him. The man says to him, Jesus, I I know you're a teacher. I know you, you share things about God that maybe other people don't say in the same way, and that you have a, a, a depth and, and there's power in what you say. But I have a question for you, this guy says, and he's testing Jesus. He says, how do I inherit eternal life? Which is this huge phrase, which when we think eternal life, we think someday. We think heaven. I got a friend who's going to Disneyland this week. We probably think Disneyland every day. But when this guy asked the question, he had two big ideas. One was the someday. When I, when I, when I finish this life, and I would guess most of us know, and the older we get, the more we realize that this cannot be the end. There must be something else to this world, that, that it's not 50, 60, 70 years, and then I blink for the last time, and I'm done, then I breathe for the last time, and that's it. And you're right, there is something else. There is an eternal destination, and we're all going somewhere once this world ends. And so part of this question is, how do I inherit that someday? How do I secure my space? And the answer to that is, Jesus says, you got to love God with everything in you, because Jesus has done everything for you. He made a way for you to come to know him. He gave his life for you, which we just celebrated in communion. He died and rose again, and get this, hundreds of people saw him alive. 
And then he went up to heaven and we're told to prepare a place for us. So that's the first part of that question, that eternal life. But the second part is the part that we're going to hammer in on over the course of this series. Because when that guy asked that question about eternal life, the second part is this. He asked, how do I get the most out of this life here? How can I get the, a life filled with less needless regret and less of the looking back saying, I wish I would have, and more of the way I did it, the way I should have done it. Because when an ancient um, uh, Near Eastern person in Jesus' day used that phrase eternal life, they didn't just mean someday, they meant today. How do I get the most out of life today? And in response to that question, Jesus tells a story. And Jesus is a master storyteller. And all the parts of Jesus' story, he chooses them specifically and intentionally. And he tells this intentional story about how to get the most out of life today. And we're going to press into that because he goes on to say, you gotta, if you want to experience the most in life here, you've got to love your neighbor even the way you love yourself. And that idea of love means you've got to put the needs of that person even before the needs of yourself. And in response to that, the guy says to him, well, that seems like a lot of work. Who is my neighbor? Like, who are these people that I have to love in this way? Is it my spouse? Is it my kids? Is it my neighborhood? Is it my coworkers? How big is this neighboring idea? And Jesus tells a story about how to neighbor. And that's what we're pressing into in this series. But as we jump in, I, I don't know about you, but I can't believe it's already October. Like, when did this happen? Last week, it was hot and sunny, and I loved it, and I got my tan on, and now it's cold, and it might even rain. And some of you are like, woohoo! And I'm thinking, no, Melikaliki Maka is the thing to say <laughs> on a bright Hawaiian winter's day. That is my kind of Christmas, but that's okay. It's October, but October means cold and flu season, and it hit my family early this year. Maddie got it. She's in third grade. She passed it to me. Thank you very much. Then Landon got it about three days later. He's in kindergarten. And I thought to myself, well, I'm already sick. So he's like laying on my chest. He's feeling so sick. And he's rubbing his hands all over my face. And then I found out he had pink eye. And then I got pink eye because that's what happens when you're parenting. You know what I mean? It's gone now. Don't worry. Don't worry. Don't have to wash. This was weeks ago. But Landon said to me, Dad, Dad, I feel so sick. And I I said, I know, buddy. I feel sick too. And I I started to tear up, but I think it was just the pink eye. I I said, "I, I feel really sick too. He said, no, Dad. Mine is way badder than yours. And here's the funny thing about that. Two days before... I was thinking the exact same thing. Like, no one has ever been sick the way that I am sick. No one's ever, this is like, this is the extreme flu. I'm like the carrier of the thing that's going to end it all. I was sure. Because there's something about us that when we get sick, our lives turn inward, don't they? And we think no one could ever experience what I'm experiencing. No one could ever know what I know. No one could ever feel the way I feel. And that's the case in a lot of areas of life. Have you ever noticed that? That when unexpected things happen, whether it's something simple like a cold, maybe it's something a little more serious like a a job loss, a spouse having some issues, uh, some things going on with the kids, maybe it's a relationship that ends. When we go through unexpected things, our worlds tend to turn inward. Have you ever noticed that? And we think no one could ever understand what I'm 
going through. No one could ever feel the way that I feel. I feel way better than you. You have no idea. And that's where this story that Jesus tells that we're going to press into today is so, so scandalous because this is not a new phenomenon. Human nature from the very beginning has said whenever things don't go as planned, our worlds turn in. We focus on us and our worlds shrink down to our immediate surroundings. But Jesus, in the story he tells, talks about a world that gets bigger, not smaller, as unexpected things happen. And we're looking at his story from one of the biographies of his life called the book of Luke, written by a doctor called Dr. Luke. And and that's where the title of this book, this gospel, this story of Jesus' life comes from. And we're going to pick up right at the end of the question. This man asks Jesus, how do I inherit eternal life? Jesus replies, love God. That's eternity. That's how you seal that. Love God with everything in you. And love your neighbor. Put their needs before your own. Love your neighbor as yourself. And wanting to justify himself, the religious leader asked, well, who is my neighbor? And Jesus said, let me tell you a story. Verse 30, we're going to pick it up in Luke chapter 12, verse 30. Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he was attacked by robbers. Going down this path we talked about, it's a drop from Jerusalem at high elevation down to Jericho on this path that was notoriously uh, dangerous called the Bloody Way. He said he's going down this path. You know that dangerous path, the Bloody Way from Jerusalem to Jericho. When he was attacked by robbers, they stripped him of his clothes. They beat him and they went away, leaving him half dead on the side of the road, bloody and dirty in the mud with the muck. And a religious leader, a priest happened by going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed him by on the other side, thinking, I, ooh, I don't, want, I don't want what you got. And in the same way, a Levite, another Jewish religious leader, when he came to the place and saw the man laying there, just half day, just laying there, I think he looked like that. That's pretty good. I think he had a few less legs. But other than that, good likeness. And he looked at the man. He thought, nope not going to do it. And he walked away on the other side. And this is where the story gets exciting. Verse 33, but a Samaritan. That's what we're going to press in today. But a Samaritan. So you might want to, you might want to underline that. You might want to circle that. You might want to put an emoticon next to that with one of these faces that's like, ah, because when a Jewish leader heard that, they'd be like, You know that face? That's the emoticon you want, like that. Take a picture if you want. Stick it on there. But a Samaritan, as he traveled down, he came to where the man was laying on the ground, and he went to him, and he bandaged his wounds, and he picked him up, and he put some oil and wine on him, and he put him on his donkey, and he brought him back, and they took care of him. And this is where the listeners of this story took a collective gasp. You can try. No, not, not like a relaxing, like a, like that. Okay, so ready? They took a collective gasp. Right. I know. Because they know what we're about to learn. They know that they hate Samaritans. Jews and Samaritans do not get along. It was a racial issue, which we're going to talk about in a few weeks. It was a religious issue. For today, we need to know that No Samaritan would ever be the hero of a Jewish story. Never, not happening, not in a million years. Here's why. 
because they were not Jewish. And only Jewish people were heroes in Jewish stories. Because at the time that Jesus walked on this earth, the Jewish people believed that God, the God that we see in the pages of the Bible, was a national God. He, he was bound by a, an area, and he was limited to working only with a nation called the nation of Israel. Now, this was not unique. See, all the people in the ancient world believed in various gods and goddesses, and all of these gods and goddesses were local or national gods. And so if you lived with this tribe, you had this god. This tribe, you had this goddess. Sometimes you had multiple gods and goddesses. That's why you see in the writings of the Bible, when they go to various places, there's a huge temple to like Aphrodite. There are temples to these gods and this goddesses. They were religious centers for regional gods. And the Jews believed like everybody else. Our god is our God. He's not your God. He's a Jewish God who works with Jewish people in Jewish history, but he is definitely not a Samaritan God. And their perspective of what God could do was so limited to them that it became terrifying. And they began to close in and pull back and stay away from the other parts of the world, because there's no way that God would ever use a non-Jewish person. The problem is, when you look through the pages of the Bible, you don't actually see that picture of God. See, when you look through the pages of the Bible, we see a God who zooms way out, who's not a national God, but is a global God who has a global perspective to save an entire world. In fact, the very first time we see God interacting with a person that becomes known as this nation of Israel, it's for a very specific person. And we're going to go way back in our Bibles or up on our screens, all the way back to Genesis, the first book of the Bible. If you have a Bible or if you're on your smart device, go to Genesis. It's in the very beginning, easiest book to find. Just open it up. If it says table of contents, you're not quite there. (laughs) Genesis chapter 12. This is the first time that God begins to set up what we know as the Jewish people. And he says to this guy named Abram, he says, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to bless you and I will make your name great. But here's why. So that you will be a blessing to the people. He says, I'm going to bless you and I'm going to bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I'm going to curse. And this is the part we don't want to miss. That's why it's bold. That's my emphasis there. But you're going to want to catch this. And all of the people, not some, not a few, not your family, all of the people of the world will be blessed through you. See, from the very beginning, God's vision has been global. From the very beginning. Even when he gathered a a group of people, it was for the salvation of the entire world. For the healing of a world that was torn by tribal differences, by religious differences, by, by these, um, these differences that set people against each other and drew dichotomies and, and built up walls so that conversation could not happen. It was always for the world. His eye was on the world. And that scandalized and infuriated the Jews so much so that by the time Jesus came on the world, they just decided, you know what? We are no longer a global people. We are a national people and the rest of the world be damned. So when Jesus chooses a Samaritan to be the hero of his story, 
It's not accidental. He's not like, oops, that just slipped out. It is so intentional because he's trying to help the people see God works globally. So God's always been a global God, and God's method has always been local in nature. His vision is global. His method is local. God said to Abe, Abraham, Abram, I'm going to use your family, local. You and your wife are going to have a child, and then they're going to have more kids and more kids. It's always been local in method. And then Jesus went on in the New Testament, and he said, I'm going to create these unique little gatherings of people. I'm going to call them an ecclesia, a gathering. We took this German word, church, which is where we get like, this is our church, this building. But really, Jesus said, I'm going to take these gatherings. They're going to be local gatherings, local communities, local churches. And I'm going to move in individuals' lives and then in families' lives and then in life groups' lives, ministries' lives. From that, I'm going to influence neighborhoods and cities and counties and the world's. Long before environmental activists said we need to live locally and think globally, that was God's method for the church. That we'd be this group of people who lives locally, who acts locally, but who's always thinking globally. See, God is up to something bigger than what's going on in your life right now. God's up to something bigger than what's going on in your family right now. He's even up to something bigger than what's going on in our church right now. Now, God's working in your life. I guarantee that. He's working upstream in your family, and he's working upstream in our church. And that's great news. But did you know that it's better news that God is up to something far bigger than that? Because just like when I get a cold and my world turns inward, if I limit God's work to only what he's doing in my life, the minute things don't go perfectly in my life, I start to ask this question, where is God? Because if my vision of God shrinks down to what he's doing in my life on any given moment, on any given day, I mean, I pray for the Bears, the Chicago Bears, every week. They are 0-3. If my, if my perspective of God is limited to that, my life going down. And if our perspective of God is limited only to me, my marriage, or my kids, and I'm telling you, when things are great, God is great. And then if things are tough, it's like, where is God? And then it's great, and then it's bad, and then it's great, and then it's bad. Because we forgot that God is actually doing something globally, not just moving locally. And, and here's some things that I do, and I don't know about you, I like to zoom out and ask, what is God doing around the world to remind me that I am not the sum and total of God's work in this world. So I say, well, what's God doing around the world? Let me just give you some information. You have extra space on the back of your notes just to write this in if you like this kind of stuff. For example, God's moving in the continent of Africa right now. God is moving powerfully. In 1910, 9.4% of Africans, that's about 11.7 million people, were Christians. 100 years later, in 2010... 48% of people living in Africa are Christians. That's 495 million people in 100 years. God is moving powerfully in that continent. It's estimated that by 2020, 1.031 billion people in Africa will be followers of Jesus. That's huge for me because sometimes I think, 
I love our church. This place is the bomb. Like, listen, I'm a, I'm a product of the 90s. Like, I couldn't imagine going anywhere else. And I think, boy, why aren't people just beating down the doors to come to our church? Like, what, what, what's happening right now? Like, do you know how awesome this is? But then I remember God's work in this. And, and by the way, people are coming all the time, all the time. And I love that about our church. Our influence is growing, but God's work is not limited to our church. What God's doing in Africa right now is just, it's mind-blowing. And it helps me zoom out and get some perspective. How about this? A year ago, one year ago, there were 4,061 people groups around the world who had never heard the good news of Jesus, who had never read the Bible in their own language, who had never encountered God. 4,061 different people groups. Just a few months ago, that number had dropped to 3,045 people groups. That means in one year, 1,016 different people groups got to hear about Jesus for the first time. That's, that's amazing. Come on. Yeah. Pastor Ron gets it. Yeah. Here's why Ron's so excited about this, and I am too. Every year we do a season of giving thing right around uh, Thanksgiving. One of the things you can do is you can actually buy, you can pay money to have a Bible verse translated into a language of an unreached people group. That's going to be one of the things you can do to help this number shrink down even more. Because we're told that before Jesus comes back and makes all things right, every people group in the world will have a chance to hear the good news of Jesus. Every people group. And that number is shrinking down to only 3,000 different people groups. Can you imagine that we're living in a time where every people group in the world will get a chance to hear about Jesus, to know about his love, to experience transformation in him and healing and forgiveness and this type of a community. Oh my gosh. What God is doing is so bigger, so much bigger than any one thing that we talk about. And whenever my world shrinks, whenever I get my metaphorical cold, and I think you couldn't imagine what it's like to be here. I zoom out and I remember that I'm part of a global movement. I remember that when, you know, 550, 600 of us gathered together, we're gathering together with billions of people around the world on Sunday in thousands of languages to worship a God who moved heaven and earth to come and partner with us. I love that. I love that. That's the thing that gets me excited. But to the Jewish people who heard that story, they were like, oh, because they thought, mistakenly, that God was very small. And God said, I am very big, and I'm working for the salvation of the entire world. By the way, that's why I'm so excited about our How to Neighbor experiment that we're doing where I've invited you, um, that we're going to spend a week coming up here in a few weeks. And if you haven't grabbed one of these devotional guide and menu books, I want you to grab one. We're going to spend a week talking about what it looks like to slow down, to zoom out, and to encounter God and think about what God's doing around the world. I'm hoping you'll join me because one of the things I want us as a church to do is to be able to live locally, but think and give and dream nationally and internationally. And I love that. We have three main goals in this How to Neighbor journey. I'm going to talk about this every week. And here's something fun. 149 of us have already signed up to do this with me, which was my goal for the whole thing. I thought if 149 people would spend a week, honestly, would spend a week eating meals that are are based primarily of beans and rice, 
and seeking God and praying and using this three times a day devotional that my friend Lauren created, if 150 people did that, it could change our church. It would absolutely bless our world. I thought 150, that's huge. First week, 150 of you, boom, done. I'm thinking too small, apparently. Yeah, that's exciting. But we've got three big goals. The first is we want to identify globally by eating beans and rice-based meals the week of October 10th through the 15th. And that's in here. So you can cross out. That's my bad. That's my bad. 10th through the 15th. And it came out of an experience I had in Costa Rica where I, we had nothing to eat but beans and rice for a week. And I realized this is the way the majority world lives. The majority world that lives on less than $2 a day has very little option for variety when it comes to meals. And it just it challenged me in ways I never had experienced before. And I want to give us the same opportunity to experience that. The second goal I have is this. I want to interact with God about our role in neighboring through this daily prayer journal. This prayer journal in here, three times a day, will just help us encounter God on this journey. It's going to be so good. I want you to grab one of these. Even if you choose not to take this journey, I want you to grab one of these and do this devotional with us. I think taking the the experiment with the beans and rice will add to that for you. But I'm telling you, this devotional will guide you on a journey of thankfulness with God. And then the third is this. On October the 16th, I'm inviting us to bring a special offering to fund our global outreach partners for 2017. Because I believe God actually invites the local church to live locally, but think and dream and pray and give globally. And so every week, you know this at the end of our message time or somewhere in our service, we take the regular tithes and offerings. And that's great. That's how we actually run the church. God actually set it up so you could run the local church through regular tithes. That's the way that God did it. But then I wanted to get some skin in the game because whenever in the New Testament, whenever there was a need globally or nationally, church leaders would get up and they would say to the people in the church, would you pray? And would you ask God for your part in meeting this special need outside of our church body? And then would you come and bring a special offering to meet that need? And we used to have a model where we would do fundraisers and we would sell stuff. And there's nothing wrong with fundraisers. There's nothing wrong with selling stuff. Listen, I love donuts. So I'm all about selling donuts, but it doesn't get any skin in the game. If I buy a donut, even if there's like a a 3,000% inflation on that donut, and I give you $20 for one donut, there's not a lot of skin in the game. You gave me something, I gave you something. What I'm dreaming about for our church is a new model to support our national and international missions partners, which is that we would pray and ask God, and we would bring a special offering above and beyond our regular tithes and offerings to fund our global partners. So what I want to do as we wrap our time up, I want to share with you who some of our global partners are. And when I say global outreach partners, I mean people serving nationally outside of new life and then internationally outside of new life. And let's start um, about our global partners. Those are working internationally. A year ago today, I landed in India with myself and two other guys. And we were working with our partners with Kerala Christ Church Mission in southern India, which started off as one church and now is uh, over 30 churches in three different states. It's got a school, they've got an orphanage, Uh, They've got a Bible college, and we were there to partner with them. And in that, they said, you know what? We've got pastors who want to go plant new churches, but they need to be supported. And we said, well, we'd like to support some pastors. We could do that. So a year ago, we committed to partnering with three pastors, or two pastors to plant churches for three years. We're paying their salary for three years so they can plant churches. And they're a year into their church plants, and things are going very well for them. So we've got two more years of partnering with them. So part of the special offering would go to partnering with these pastors as they plant their churches. And then we said, as God provides through us, 
we'd like to help partner with you as you bring in funds and we bring in funds. We'd like to build you a church building at the end of this because we want to give you a space to meet because in the monsoon season, when the rains come, you can't just be meeting outside. You just can't. So we want to help create a space. And so as funds come in through this offering, we're going to set some money aside so we can partner with our friends in India to support the pastors to build these churches. We've got Mexico partnerships that when you give, this is what you're giving to. You're giving to an organization in Mexico called Foundation for His Ministry where houses are being built, where orphans are being cared for, where the good news of Jesus is we're going out in the streets and we share about what God is doing and we interact with people in culturally sensitive ways down in Mexico. And that's what part of this offering would go to, would be to partner with our trips as we lead people down to Mexico to give the provisions so that we could actually do the work in Mexico. We're partnering nationally as well. We've got a new ministry partner that we've just started with in the last year called um, the Pine Ridge Reservation. It's a Lakota reservation where a handful of people have been going and they're building houses and working in orphanages. This is one of the poorest reservations in the United States. Sharing the good news of Jesus in relevant ways that connect with an indigenous people and help them understand where it's not just bringing in the Bible, but engaging in culturally relevant ways. And I love that. We're partnering locally in Sonoma County with two great ministries. One is called InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. It's a college ministry because I believe, and we as a church leadership believe, that it's our role to invest in the generation below us. I believe that's good for each of us. I mean, what it, whether you're 70 and it's the generation below you or you're in your 30s and it's the generation below you, I think we should always be investing. Look for someone who's ahead of us to pull us along. Look for someone who's behind us that we can pull them along. And so we partner with InterVarsity by being part of a support team for two staff, one who works at Sonoma State, the local campus, uh, and one who works nationally um, or regionally to do major conferences and events and work. Uh, By the way, I'm super proud of both of them, and they're both in this room right now. Uh, One is my friend Kenny. He's sitting right here. Love you. And then there's one, and I can't, I can't find her. She is super attractive. Um, she's my wife, Maria, who works with InterVarsity, and she's here somewhere. She was leading worship a few minutes ago. She's probably hiding after I, I totally embarrassed her last week, so that's probably smart. Good work, babe. Both of these guys have been working in ministry, love God, love our church, love what God's doing with college students, and part of this special offering goes to partner with them so they can do the ministry God has called them to do. And then the last one, this is one that I'm so excited about. This just came up organically over the last year as New Lifers have been partnering. We're partnering with the Redwood Gospel Mission up in Santa Rosa with their nomadic shelter. Um, What they do in the winter season is uh, create spaces at various churches and community groups, create spaces um, so that people can sleep overnight because there's an overflow of people at their actual site that they cannot care for. So we do these extra spaces and New Life is going to be a host site So one night a month, we're going to host people, and we're going to provide a meal, and we're going to provide partnership, because Rebel Gospel Mission is doing more than just giving a place to sleep at a night. They've got a whole plan to help raise you up out of poverty, so that you can actually take hold of your own life. And we're going to talk about that more next week in this How to Neighbor series, about how to to give someone a hand up without just giving them a handout, because that's huge for Sonoma County, isn't it? Like, we love people, but we're always torn, how do I best serve someone who is stuck in a cycle of poverty? Well, God actually gives us an answer to that, and we're going to talk about that next week. But I love Redwood Gospel Mission. I love it. Now, to fund all of these initiatives for 2017, because that's our goal, would be that on the 16th of this month, we're going to bring a special offering and try to fund all of these initiatives. To fund all of these initiatives, it's going to be about $18,000 on top of our regular tithes and offerings. 
which is why I'm asking you over the course of that week as you're eating beans and rice and identifying globally as you're having this devotional time, ask God, God, what's my part in bringing a special offering? Not for the church that I'm part of, because I know that we're already going to support the church that we're part of because we love what God's doing here. What's my part in bringing a special offering above and beyond that for our global partners so that we can live locally and give globally to what God is doing? Now, moving to this model is a risk. I just want to tell you, this is a risk. Here's why. There is no plan B. Like, I don't have a contingency plan if um, we don't raise these funds. If we don't raise these funds, we're going to have to have some hard conversations with our global partners because we don't have a contingency plan. This seems to be a God-honoring way to do this. This seems to be the way the church has always done it. They pray, they raise money, and they give a special offering. So I'm telling you, to do all of the things I talked about, it's around $18,000. If we bring in $15,000, we'll do a portion of that. If we bring in $10,000, we'll do a portion of that. It's going to be how God leads each of us individually. I'll close with this. Mother Teresa, who's one of my favorite people, and it was so fun. Last time when I was in India a year ago, um, these children at school were watching a video on Mother Teresa in Malayalam, in their indigenous language. And I thought, how cool is that, that this is one of their heroes in India and one of my heroes in Petaluma? Mother Teresa once said this. She said, I am a little pencil in the hand of a writing God who's sending a love letter to the world. I love that. And friends, that's what each of us is. We are a little pencil in the hand of a writing God who's sending a love letter to the world. And this this special offering, this is our chance to write that love letter and send it out. I just love that. And if you're here today, and this is your first time at church, if God's always been this distant, on-the-shelf kind of afterthought, can I tell you that, that the love letter God is writing, it starts with you? That God's actually writing a love letter to you. You're not here on accident. You're here on purpose. You're here for a purpose. God invited you to this space so that you could, you could encounter him, so that you could know about his great love, and his plan for your life, and that you could actually enter into a relationship with him. That thing we celebrated during communion where Jesus gave his life. He said, this is my body that's been given for you, and he took that bread and broke it and gave it away. He took the juice and said, this is my blood that's going to be poured out to pay the penalty for your sins so that you can be forgiven. He did that for you. He did it for me. And if you've never accepted that gift from God by saying, God, I want to experience that forgiveness, and I want I want to have a relationship with you. I'm going to give you a chance to do that right now as we end this part of our service together. So would you join me as we pray? You may want to close your eyes just to focus in on what God wants to say to you, or you can keep your eyes open if you just want to stare at me for a little while. That's fine. But let's take an attitude of prayer. I'm asking for two things, Lord, on behalf of my community. The first is this. God, would you help us to engage with you on this How to Neighbor experiment on the 11th, 10th through the 15th. Would you, show us, would you show us our part? Would you give us some excitement about creating meals and menus and creating space in our lives to have conversations about what you're doing in our lives, in our church, in our nation, and around the world? And then, Lord, would you use us in that process to, to be that pencil as you write your 